welcome back to Career Talk. I'm Cole Sperry, and today we've got an exciting guest. I've got Demi Knight-Clark coming on to talk to us about what it's like being a woman in tech and also a woman in the trades. Demi spent years in the tech industry, some years in mortgage, and today she's started her own business pivoting into construction. What a whirlwind. Super excited to introduce her, so let's get started. Thanks for coming on with me today. Appreciate you hopping on. Anytime. Now, you've made some moves since last time we talked. Yeah. Would have been like yeah, but... December of 2021? Exactly. Yeah, just over a year, maybe 13 months, because that's when I made the jump from Company X, where you actually retooled my resume, which needs a retool again, to, thanks to industry. Well, industry return. It's not even industry change. It's going back to what I was doing pre-Company X. The same overall umbrella industry, but just more dialed back into construction rather than mortgage. And it's funny, I was just came off of a call from someone that I worked with at that company that I had these kind of free counseling sessions more often than not. And not just that company, but others because of the nature of the environment right now, which I know you see on the resume side, but just that these career trajectories just are not linear. I don't know if they ever were. We just didn't admit it. You know, and now it's like we're finally okay with saying it's okay to jump industries and position levels. depending on what's your passion. And like, hey, you're doing this for 60 years. So if you're jumping, it's a mountain range. You know, it's not like one mountain and you get to the top. So you left a fintech, you left the mortgage space, and now you've pivoted back to what you were doing before. So what are you doing now, Demi? Yeah, I went into the great unknown and started my own. So a quick bottom line. I've done this for 25 years in construction. I have thrown a hammer. I have been out on the job site for large publicly traded, if not just the largest publicly traded builder. And then I had a career trajectory change. I actually started in tech and then the dot-com boom, I'm dating myself, completely busted. And I went into a safe industry of construction, at least so I thought. And then we went through 2006 to 2008, made some pivot there, but stayed in the industry and then jumped into vendor side and then decided I wanted to go back to school while I was consulting. So I went to Yale, started a nonprofit called She Built the City for Women in Trades, and then went into fintech when I got out of business school because everyone was just like, oh, you got to do fintech. You got to do fintech. And I said, you know, that gets me back to the tech roots. And I actually had some really great learning experiences of how to get into emotional intelligence. A lot of things that weren't necessarily in my construction industry experience before. We just were talking about those types of things. And it was a much safer space to do that. And yeah, in terms of the last four months have been this crazy. I just finally pulled the trigger and said, I, as a woman in my industry of construction and whatever you want to call it, need to go first. There's only 2% what's called WBEs or Women Business Enterprises who are certified in construction. And I love a good blue ocean. And so I said, I'm going to do it. I don't care how hard it is. I'll figure it out. Imposter syndrome and all. And here we are. First contract, getting bids, municipal bids coming through and relationships. And it's just like tech startups. <laughs> You're exhausted all the time and it's about self-preservation. But yeah, so I started my own company. And deep in the throes of what that entails in an early stage start. When I think of construction or the trades, I'm curious from your perspective, why aren't there more women in these fields? Because it's not just swinging a hammer either. Why don't we see more women in this field? 
That is a loaded question. I mean, and like many industries where there's a delta of inclusion, because it's really, you know, the DE and the I are very different things. You can be diverse and not necessarily have equity, or maybe we're getting to the equity, but there's zero inclusion and you got to start working on one of those. I never see that as like one whole thing. I don't think any company's there yet. But yes, construction on the whole is, is struggling still with that D. And I say that very lovingly. It's a problem that and a challenge that a lot of companies are starting to attack. I don't see it enough at the ground level of business incubation, which is why I'm in the space that I am. But it's a whole lot of answers to that question. So I'll take it back to just because it's too mind blowing if you take it all on is from the diversity standpoint. I always say this to companies who come to me and say in construction or just male dominated industries, let's call it. It's not that I'm trying not to hire women or I don't want them on my staff or leading my company, but what? how did we get here? You know, and it's like, well, look how hospitable your environment is to women. Is it childcare? Is it locker rooms to safely change if you have a job site? And it's, I, I want to say it's more from an HR side, but it is from a DEI side, not just HR of saying like, do women want to work there? Is it an advantageous place? Is there a career trajectory that they can actually see? Is there bias? Lots of bias. They're bullying. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of energy that could be seen as toxic or it could be seen as just very intimidating. And there's not always the level of acceptance. And I think that's what I liked about me jumping into fintech for a couple of years is that pressure was off me. I could be, wow, like now, once you bust through that that DE&I space and you can at least get to the equity and inclusion place of having norms at the beginning of meetings and uh, you're with a diverse table of people not just people that look like you or as women, a bunch of men, most of the time white, stating facts, you know, and not making judgment calls is you can get so much farther when you're already past that. You know, that's such a barrier to get over. And so I think that's probably where it is. It's an industry that hasn't had to change. It hasn't felt the pain until I think the last three years, which there's so much opportunity. So I always try to keep it in the positive. But we always say like, oh, there's a labor problem. There's a labor problem. And that's retail as well. It's like those jobs that might be 16 to $25 an hour. And there's a stigma against it if you don't have a college degree. Add to that the delta of it's not necessarily a hospitable environment to women or minorities. You've got a, a major challenge on your hands. So I think that starts with that. And it stems from a history of that. And then us wanting kids to go to college decades ago and the shift started happening, right? Do you see it changing much over the next five, 10 years? Do you see kind of status quo playing out? Yeah, I'm starting to see. And that, maybe that's the drum that I'm beating. I'm just jumping on the soapbox because I wanted to go first because I knew I had a voice. I have a bit of a voice on LinkedIn. I'm developing my voice in speaking engagements in places where I feel like I can have impact. To not just say like, I'm the woman, you know, I can't stand that part. You want to be there to do the job well, not to be the token woman on the job or the token woman business owner or like you are fitting, fulfilling a box of diversity that you might have a quote on from a municipal government, which is possible, which I also think is necessary until we get to a more equitable space. But I absolutely see it changing in a lot of the conversations that I am in the middle of companies that I'm able to get in front of and or I'm a, what's called a second tier to a prime contractor. So prime contractors get a huge job and then they start subcontracting it to second or third tier small businesses like myself. And I'm starting to enlighten them, but they're also letting me into their challenges. So I think it starts with yes to the change. Is it fast enough? No, it's never fast enough for me. We also can't wait another hundred years. Our infrastructure is crumbling in the United States. And that's why I try to put it in the lens of if we're in a PR problem more than anything else in construction. 
And that's some other industries too, like retail, where there's tremendous opportunity. You can get $500 bonuses a week. That in and of itself to some people is a salary when you add that up into a month. But are we selling it as a future? You can be a business owner. You can be a startup founder. So I try to put it in the same kind of terminology that I'm seeing some of these sexier industries that are appealing to, to younger generations or to women or to minorities to say there's just as much over here. We have to sell it differently. And then it's a lot of hard work. Sometimes it's dirty work. But just like any other industry, you have to work to get to where your end game is. I do think the bottom line is emotional intelligence. You know, you've got to be able to have the conversation in the middle. You know, we can't be this polarized like, well, I'm not trying not to do this. And me coming from a place of like, you should do this. You're never going to have, you know, I think meeting everything with that level of emotional intelligence, which we're all learning what that equals right now. But it is changing. And I think that's why, again, I'm so passionate about it because I'm like, oh, my goodness, with as much federal money that's coming down the pipe, I'm seeing start. And I love tech. I'm telling you, tech is the center of everything, including construction with where we're going with robotics and 3D printing. So it has an arm to everything. But at the same time, tech startups get a lot of press, right? And I have a lot of founder friends. And like, ah, it's just this, they think it's this unique challenge, but also unique opportunity. I'm like, no, there's so much in some of these boring industries where you can be a founder. Like I'm a founder, right? And I'm going through the same challenges that my startup founding friends are. And you can, you, we just need to put those ecosystems together. Sure. Even when I look at tech, though, you know, on the surface, if you go to the BLS and you look at, because they break down gender, right? How many women are in just like tech sales, for example, you know, it looks like there's a good amount of women. But then when you start digging in, you start realizing that they lump everything into here, like travel agents oh, yeah. and the cashier yeah. at the grocery. And then when you start taking those out, you just kind of account for just the B2B space, which is more likely true what we would consider tech space. I mean, women account for, depending on the statistic, like still 16 to maybe 30%, with the exception of customer success. I've seen some that are higher on that end. But both roles, I mean, whether it's tech or, or construction, it seems like they both have a similar issue with not enough women. There's a study, I can't remember the university that it came out of, but it was like 71% of both men and women even said that they would prefer a woman leader for their department or group versus a male. And yet, when we look at the management, it's still around 30%. <laughs> right? What tips or what advice, I guess, would you give? If, if you were a woman and looking to break into either industry, whether it's construction or tech, given that we know that there's just not that big of a percentage, how can they stand out? How can they compete? What would you bring to the table to differentiate yourself and resonate with here's the advantage to me. Yeah, well, and a couple of ways to look at it that I, me at 46 has a very different answer to that than I would have had at me at 20, who was very much a fireball of like, just bust through the paradigm, you know, just get your grit together and stick with it. And I do think no matter what, women just have this like innate level of grit, especially the higher they've gone in their respective career, you just have to stomach it and muscle through. But the older I get, the more I am... Um, really valuing the power of sponsorship for women. And so that could, that's gender agnostic. You know, that could be a, someone who identifies as male, someone who identifies as female, non-binary, all the things. It's not just women sponsoring other women. Mentorship is the brass tacks of your business. So you definitely want your operational mentors, but then you want sponsors and sponsors get you in the room and get you to the table. 
I try to be a sponsor wherever possible, or I absolutely directly, because I, I just did this the other night at a networking event of someone who could give me business. And I said, will you sponsor me? Just ask. The worst they could say is no. And again, it's not respective to one gender. It could be men or women or non-binary. Uh, is that we have to do more of that. And it's our duty, those of us who have gotten into the room, because there's the, the secondary piece of when you're the only one in the room, there's only so much you can say. And there's only so much operational decision-making that you're going to be able to get done. You need that amplification of having others in the room. So it behooves you to sponsor others. And I think most women know that. We just need to explode that and also get male allies who come to me, they're like, how do I be an ally? And like the best thing you could do right now is sponsor. You don't have to teach a woman which could come across so many different ways to a woman, you just have to say, where do you want to go? Like, what rooms do you want to be in? Proverbial rooms or, you know, do you want to learn about a different vertical in this company or do you want to be at a certain company or do you want to make a certain salary? What is her goal of the room? And then ask very directly, what, what is it about that that you want as your end outcome? And if they don't know, then that's starting right there. You can mentor and sponsor them right there to say, well, let's talk about that. What is the vision of yourself a year from now and what do you see? So I tie it back to sponsorship in so many different ways because it's a neutral place to start. You know, otherwise you just get into this polarization again of like the burden is on women to take it upon themselves to have to go and do all the work. They should be the ones that are doing less work. And it's all of us that have to say, like, what is it? Why is our space not filled with a diverse table? And P.S., like the precursor question to the one that you just asked that I get all the time, and which is what I addressed in my TEDx, was, but why do we need more women? And I get that more often than not. You know, like, well, what is that going to do for us? Is that going to extend profitability? Or are we going to have a better culture? Or, you know, are we going to have a bigger company? Are we going to scale faster? So, unfortunately, we should know these answers because there's been plenty of studies, to your point, by numerous academic institutions that are credible that say here are the benefits of having a more diverse table in your organization or in your seat. It might be helpful to just state those as norms and say this is what it does for us. So stop thinking that we just are saying more women should be here because more women should be here or more minorities should be here, more non-binary, more LGBTQIA+. Everyone should be here for a variety of reasons. But yeah, I think it's starting there and then sponsorship. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've made so many transitions, right? Significant ones, though, that aren't always easy for people to do. What would you say has, I mean, to go from construction, real estate, breaking into tech, for example, is hard for a lot of people just in itself. And I know you mentioned you got another degree. And then that was kind of what led you into that. What would you say was the key one or two, if you were going to boil it all down, and I know I'm, it's probably asking for a lot, it's, but what are the one or two things that really propelled you to success to make those transitions and be able to move around how you have been able to move around? Yeah, I would say three things. One is be a giver no matter what, like either a giver of information or things you know to someone else or your time, your resources, your own self when you figure out that you've got to learn like in that transition. I'm not going to go be a know-it-all. I mean, I'm in that situation right now where I'm putting a bid in on paving and I'm not an expert on paving. So I had just had that phone call this morning of let me go on a job site and watch your guys do it. I have no idea. And I'm sitting here trying to put in a XYZ amount of not small sum bid. <laughs> And I realized I was like, okay, it's time to become a student, right? I would also say radical belief in yourself just because 
once you do commit, and a commitment is number two. So one, be a giver. Two is commitment. If you can't half-ass the stuff, make a transition. And I've, I've counseled some of the folks that I've managed in the past or been a peer to who are like, what do I do now? I can't seem to get the job. Can't seem to get the interview. I've gotten ghosted. And I was like, well, do you have radical commitment to that company? Or do you have radical commitment to that job role? If you do, you're not giving up. You can't half-ass it and be like, no, I love the title or I love the benefits they give or it would look good for me to post that I work there. I mean, you see this stuff, right? So if you really want to do this, then it's going to take radical commitment. And then also number three is never giving up. Find the people or the things around you that are going to feed you enough that the crises come, right? No matter if you're in a corporation or you're going out on your own or choosing to have a side gig and consult or whatever that role in company or thing is in your business to make a transition or just sitting with being laid off, right? Which is a lot of our friends right now. Like, how do I sit with this? What is the right time to engage on finding that job? I need a minute is to just give yourself that grace to say, I'm not giving up. And then you fully commit. Like it might take you two weeks or even a month. Like everybody's different. It could take a day for you to figure out what your commitment is and what that next season is. It'll come to you. I'm a firm believer in whispers. People can make a religious beat out of that and say it's God speaking to you or the universe. I've always gotten it in my left ear, but you're seeing it probably on the right side, is uh, when it's supposed to be doing something, meaning fully aligned between my vision, my goals, and actually executing them to whatever the end outcome is, it's come into my brain. And sometimes it has shocked me what the whisper was, where I'm like, I'm not in that. I mean, that, that was TEDx for me six years ago. I was not in a speaking role. I was in a place in my organization that I had influence and I certainly got on stage every once in a while for training, but I was not polished. I was not this like major influencer in any space. And somebody just came up to me and they're like, hey, funny thing, I'll see you on TEDx someday. And we laughed about it. And I posted that on LinkedIn of like ear finger guns, like how's the invite, you know, in however many moments in time. And it actualized, right, of like, it didn't take the next day. I didn't get this like speaker coach and say, let's submit it. It took six, seven years, but it just, I kept having that in the back of my head of like, that would be funny if, and then it goes through that like four stages of competence of like unconscious incompetence all the way to conscious competence. Listen to the whispers that are unconscious incompetence. And I'm telling you, it happens more often than not. We're just pushing them away in our career lives. Sometimes it'll just come and go, but nine times out of 10, there's something in there in the middle that is going to get you to commit to the season. And then be okay with seasons. Where you work or what you do right now today could be completely uninspiring to you two years from now, or one year from now, or six months from now. And I think we as a general society need to get better about normalizing. It's not job hopping. It's not Gen Z. It's all of us. I did in my career. We just didn't name it yet, right? And it's okay. You are, again, the level of success of the mountain range. It's not this one up the mountain and you get to go to the summit and celebrate. So yeah, I think that would be the other thing. Like give yourself permission to have seasons and learn from those seasons and say, what am I taking from that season into the next season? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. When I think of the ladder or the one mountain, I think would be how you're describing it. I have to think all the way back to probably my, my grandfather's generation, right? Where you, yeah. you really do just climb 
same company, 30 years. Yeah. Collect a nice pension. They take good care of you. Yeah. You get your wads. (laughs) Yeah. And you're all set. And there are those people. My husband is the odd duck that's one of them that has worked for the same financial institution for 12 years. Although now he's getting a little itchy. But yeah, he's been okay with it because he's a personality that enjoys stability. He's had opportunity. That's good for him. So I don't want to bash the people that there are people out there who are like, yeah, I've just completely enjoyed it. And I've continued the trajectory. But I think we're finding that's less and less of the majority as we move into the next stage of, I wouldn't say world necessarily, because all these different countries have approached it differently, but it's really U.S., like what's available to you and what's acceptable, which is also, I can't stand the word acceptable. Like nothing should be acceptable. It's just what is, what are the trend lines that we should be following that say, oh, maybe the workplace could look like this because there's so many people doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the culture has significantly changed as well, on a whole, anyways. Sure, there's oh, still huge. some people like your husband, but he's rare. Pensions, yeah. for example. I mean, who offers a pension anymore? You know, besides no. my wife's school district, right? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. again, we're talking about a, right. a government organization here at that point. It's almost as if there isn't any loyalty on either side anymore, right? It's, and I think the quicker all of us come to realize that and be okay with what it is. Well, this was one thing that tech really taught me to value because I know they had gotten a bad rap for it as an industry of people kind of coming in and it was perceived as someone using the organization to get to get better and to hit those stages and boom, they jumped over to their competitor or to another startup, you know. And I think it's more of in this last iteration when I was heavily in tech was I valued the people who said, you know what, you're going to get the best of me at this level of the organization. And then the organization, I mean, you, you know, as well as I do tech, it transforms itself repeatedly over the course of the year. That's agile thinking. And not every industry is like that. So I think the more that we accept that and say, someone today who's a rock star, take them for what they are in this season of however they are in the company. One, the company is going to keep scaling. And them at year four, it might not be a fit like it was at year two. You know, and that's okay for both sides. So is it loyalty or is it just we had a great season together and now we're both going to shake hands, be advocates of each other, company to individual, wherever you go and keep moving. Right. And just value the fact that like I needed two to three great years of you. I don't think six months suck because, you know, you're just HR studies will show you spent way too much on that employee. And maybe you should have done better in the interview with each other. But for that two to three year mark. Yeah, I think. You get to that and you start having those conversations of like, what do you see here? Do you want to go into another side of our business and grow into that if it's a radically changing business? And that's the people I see sticking around are the ones who get to kind of start smaller companies within the company and stay creatively engaged and or change roles within that company. Right. So I think it's it's a lens. We need to just stop with these same old paradigms. That's a great way to look at it. And the sooner I think everyone comes to terms with it and is just okay, right? Like on both sides, the easier it probably will be for many of us, right? Right. You know, because I talk to a lot of people who who wrestle with even leaving a company. They really struggle with it. And there is the old school thought of that's not okay. But then on the other side, when the alignment doesn't exist on the other side, though, the same thing's going to happen. We're seeing it play out in real time, right? Yeah, It no longer aligns with our needs. And so we're separating, whether that's mutual or not, usually not, in the, yeah. the past year, it seems. 
But, you know, I was with a company for 12, 13 years, and I have so much love for that time in my life. When I immediately left, there was that kind of hurt feeling. So people were like, you were the cheerleader. You drank the Kool-Aid. If you're not here, what does that mean about the company? And I was like, nothing about the company. I had a great run. I couldn't verbalize it at the time. This was about 10 years ago now. But now I've circled back to most of the people that were in my life as mentors, you know, employee, whatever. It was a bit of a fallout, you know? And I was like, wait, this shouldn't be a fallout. There's no like burning reason I left. But people had to make this narrative out of it that you're like, what is this? You know, but it really was. I had done the best of me was finished there, right? So I was doing a disservice by staying there. So again, I wish I was as mature as I am now as I was back then to be able to say that in an exit interview. But it was more of like, Let's just not say anything at all because I don't want to ruffle people's feathers. And then it ended up ruffling people's feathers by not saying anything. Any final words of advice? Wisdom? Oh, wisdom. Yeah, I don't want to be the advice monster. I would just say wherever you are in whatever your seat and one, stick with Optum. I mean, you know, I, I love what you do, but find the coaches, find the people who will either give you free advice as a mentor or just someone who will give you 15 minutes over coffee or a Zoom. Just always be curious, ABC. If you want to go into an industry, go find out that industry. Sit with the people that do it. Give free time. You know, if you don't have the expertise, don't expect them to pay you for it. But don't go too long and not get paid for it, right? It's not free labor forever. But really just commit. One, do the work to figure out what that is in this season. So it doesn't have to be this forever the world answer the rest of your life. This season, what is something you go to sleep with and wake up with? whether that's an industry, an actual job, or a company, and then pursue it. Pursue the people, pursue the company, pursue the idea. And what could you do to radically commit to it? What a great interview with Demi Knight-Clark on radical commitment, making career pivots, normalizing what work is going to look like in the near future. You can connect with Demi on LinkedIn. Again, it's Demi knight Clark, look her up, connect with her, especially if you're in construction, mortgage, fintech, anything of the like. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday for another episode of Career.